talking about socialism yeah. and so, things. And things. So we are back on Das Kapital. Woo! Yeah, so we're back on, on Papa Marx's masterpiece. It's been no time for you, but it's been two weeks for us, which is why we're sounding so... Yeah. So we're getting the jazz back. Right, Get the band right. back together, guys. <laughs> we got to slap the cymbals. Go! Getting the band back. Yeah, somebody play the Soviet. Make almost sing the Soviet national anthem real quick. So where we left off, we were on chapter ten. Now that was our first dive into some big shit, and I'm pretty sure I said that that was like there's a lot of battles going on, but that kind of defined the core of everything that's going on, and that seems a little oversimplified because that's <laughs> that's part of the core, but that's the core personified, right? Yeah, if you can't oversimplify, what are you doing though? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it's not just the working day that's being battled over; it's that the working day personifies in real time something you can see tangibly what your real battle is, mm-hmm. and your real battle is the capitalist is trying to suck your life out of you for bare sustenance. And you are trying to survive and get that life back. That is yes. Yes. So All right. We have officially we've officially distilled this down in a way that teenage girls can get on board with. It is a vampire right. drama. We are ready to go. That's right. So All right. The CW is hiring. We're fucking. Yes. Off. Oh yes. This there, that is the one thing Marks needed to really get back in the mainstream is a good CW reboot. We need yes. sexy Marks. Yes. If if you can turn American Pie actors into the only good lesbian characters on TV, you're writing a good show. <laughs> So, <laughs> damn it. Um, God damn it. Anyway, so where we left off, that was the distilled battle. Yeah. Now, that obviously sounds a little gruesome because it's pretty head to head. But remember, this is all playing by the rules. This is all within your rights, mm-hmm. but it's coming down to force. It's coming down to who wins this. Yep. So, we're going to expand on that a little bit. Obviously, it's not limited to the working day. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go on with this battle. So, the next thing we're going to talk about is rate and mass of surplus value. And that sounds like. We're getting technical like the beginning. Guess what, guys? There's going to be some math in this section. There's... It was, it was not... It, I, I, When you're listening to the audiobook version of this and it's trying to explain mathematical formulas, trust me, it gets super exciting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forget you're on the audiobook. Oh, oh I have the actual book up, too, and I, I would refer to it. But, like, as soon as they started doing that, I'm like, fuck, all right, I got to read again. I don't want to do that. So, anyway, um, but this is kind of expanding on it. So, what Mark starts with is he says... The variable capital of a capitalist is the expression in money of the total value of all the labor powers that he employs simultaneously. Its value is therefore equal to the average value of one labor power multiplied by the number of labor powers employed. So what he's saying is he doesn't care if, like, Joe Blow is, you know, making him five capitals, five bucks, and John John is making him 50, right? Yep. He cares that between the two of them, he's making 27 and a half per person. And that's the most he's going to make, because maybe John John can't make his 50 without Joe Blow doing his job. Yes. Right? Everybody so, stacks together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where you can start making sense of, like, service jobs. I'm not out there in a factory, you know, making canned insulation foam anymore. But maybe if I'm stuck being a server at a restaurant, I'm making a restaurant more money, you know, because that's bringing people in. And so all they care about is this mass employment. And so the capitalist sees everything as kind of this big gel. And that's how Marx, way back in the beginning, we didn't get as deep into the weeds as you could because we didn't want to make this too, you know, boring. I mean, if you want to read the book, you can. It's a great idea. But, you know, Marx understood things as 
I think you used the word congealed. I always feel like that's kind of sounding congealed gelatinous. Congealed mass. Yeah. yeah. Imagine the blob. <laughs> the Imagine blob. a crang-like thing. Just it's, yeah. uh, That's all I hear every time. Actually pulling levers and the little metal guy. Very, very much pulling Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but anyway, um, but congealed mass labor. So yep. that's where the value really comes from. You know, you'll have differences in supply and demand. You'll have some differences in perception, things like that. But we're talking about supply and demand at equilibrium is where you see true value. And this is how the system's supposed to work. Marx is not, not yet. I mean, after tw- hmm. chapter 25, we're getting a little bit of it. Marx is not saying like, okay, well, this is all the cronies out there. He's saying... What if this worked exactly the way they said? And he's doing this for 25 freaking chapters, and this is number 11. Okay. So the capitalist is only worried about this this total value. And so what Marx goes on, he says, okay, you're going to have this line, right? And this line's going to go from A to C. Okay. Yep. And in between this line is going to be a B and a B prime. So A is to B is constant capital. It's the number of machines, da 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 da. Okay. B to B prime is his variable capital. The people, you know, how much he has to pay to employ people. And B to C is the actual like value that that he's getting uh, the surplus. The surplus, surplus value. value. Yeah. So A to C is your total value. If you want to make more of that surplus value, you're either going to have to expand where C is. But we talked about there's limits in the day, and he's having this big battle over the working day. He's not always going to win that battle because there's a lot of people doing this work. Yep. Maybe they're going to group together and stand up for each other. So, so he needs to figure out another way to undercut this. So a good way for him to expand things is kind of shrink that line between B and B prime. You know, maybe he pays the workers a little less. Maybe he gets a little more out of that work, makes you work a little bit harder. So Marx introduces something where he says S is your surplus value, big S, okay, is your surplus value. Big honking S. Big honking S. And then he has a little S, um, and that little S is the the, uh, uh, individual labor in the average day. And the little V is the variable capital, okay? And then he's going to... And for a refresher, for those of us like myself that are are variable capital, variable capital is... The labor. 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 Labor you want, yeah. The big big machines are constant capital. You're going to have this value, and it's going to go into the new thing, you know, just like cotton goes into gloves, and the cotton's going to expire. The machine's essentially expiring into what it makes. Yeah, because every time it works, it goes. Yep. Okay. But so, your variable capital is always the labor that you're purchasing needed to, to pump yeah. out things on the other side. Yeah. So, like, if your labor power is worth five bucks, mm-hmm. and I've spent sixty dollars on um, constant capital, if your five dollar labor power can turn this sixty dollars of constant capital into seventy dollars of constant capital, you've transferred the sixty. I've paid your five, and I've made five bucks. So your five is variable capital, and I've turned it into. Five dollars of surplus value. Okay, makes sense. So he's saying that you know the more surplus value you can get out of the least labor power is going to be your rate of exploitation, okay. which s- sounds delicious. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not shy about calling this exploitation. No, he defines what that is. He really, really enjoys it. I'm not even sure. I, I don't know etymology or words. You get kind of nasty when you get into that. But I'm not sure if exploitation. Like, we think of it as someone getting really screwed. Yeah. I'm not sure if that word even existed before Marx. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and... That would be an interesting... That would be an interesting... Whether or not that... We will we will find out for that, listeners. Yeah. You will, you will know that by the end of this podcast, I promise. There's some words that Marx created, and there's some words that Marx redefined, and there's some words that Marx used existing, you know, um, 
normal definitions for, uh, mm-hmm. conventional definitions for. And uh, so either he kind of redefined that or he, he made that word. But exploitation, as we understand it, is the amount that I make you work to make me money. Okay, If you're making $20 in value and you're getting paid five out of me because I'm holding the means of production, I'm keeping the things away from you mm-hmm. that you need to make that stuff, right? I'm exploiting you like $15 worth. I'm exploiting you. And so this is the rate of that exploitation. So he says, it is always supposed not only that the value of an average labor power is constant, but that the labors employed by a capitalist are reduced to an average labor. There are exceptional cases in which surplus value produced does not increase in proportion to the number of laborers exploited, but then the value of the labor power doesn't remain constant. Okay, so he's basically saying someone's going to go, oh, well, what if we get a really hard worker in, you know, and all of a sudden you're making thirty dollars worth of value off of off of ten bucks instead of well, that's not a good number, but hundred dollars, <laughs> hundred dollars worth of value off ten bucks instead of twenty dollars worth of value off five. Okay, great. Well, then just you're splitting the average. All the capitalist cares about is congealed labor. He's going to try to maximize that congealed labor. He may try to get this harder worker as a strategy, right? But then if everybody's a harder worker, the value of that labor is eventually going to drop, you know, when it catches up. Because we're talking about socially, and he, he really gets in in this chapter. He says people are going to make the supposition that, oh, well, what about this individual labor? But individual labor works harder. Does that mean the stuff's worth less? Is that just constant value no matter how hard you work? Yeah. No, of course not. Socially necessary labor is the determiner of value. And he'll say that explicitly. We'll bring that back up in this chapter. Yep. So he says, the diminution, I don't know how to pronounce that. Diminutive? Diminution of variable capital may therefore be compensated by the proportionate rise in the degree of exploitation of labor power or the decrease in the number of laborers employed by a proportionate extension of the working day. So that sounds wordy and mealy-mouthed and technical. Let's translate that into English. Please, please, please. You get a machine, okay, and maybe it costs you $10 more in constant capital, and that'll all transfer into the product, okay? You get a machine that lets you, you know, work your workers six hours instead of eight hours to produce the same stuff. So now you're paying them six hours worth of labor power. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and in that six hours worth of labor power, they're making more value. Well, you're making more money. You're really still making that more money off the variable capital. The worker's just getting more efficient because of a better tool, okay? Workers can also get more efficient just from practice themselves. Yep. Workers, you can bring in another worker, like we said, a harder mm-hmm. worker maybe that's more skilled. But whatever it is, you're getting more congealed labor, okay? So you're trying to squeeze the most value out but we're still talking about average total labor because all the capitalists cares about. They don't care about I made a hundred off this guy and twenty off this guy unless they're sitting there trying to like maximize person by person, and they'll do that. And you can do that, but unfortunately, right. unlike you know when I'm playing you know role playing games, I don't have like a stat list on all the people where I can like min max my employees. Like soft, you know, humans don't come with a stat sheet. It's a little harder to quantify them in that particular yeah, way. Yeah, and even the with outside. the labor power, remember there's some variations in um, supply and demand. But we're talking about supply and demand at equilibrium, yep. so we can see the rules. And even though supply and demand changes, you know they can change price, which is a guess, a representation of value. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not really value. It's not value. So, um, you know, and that supply and demand will vary. It's not actually affecting the value. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, then it'll go down a little lower. You say, whatever the value of the labor power may be, whether the working time necessary for the maintenance of the labor is two or ten hours, the total value that a laborer can produce in day in and day out is always less than the value of tw- which 24 hours of labor are embodied. So now, 
capitalist is back in this race against time. Okay? Yeah. He can't make C go farther than 24. Now, don't you push him okay. I don't need Elon and Jeff and the rest of them trying to figure out ways to do that because they're going to. They're going to come up with a new day of the week pretty soon here and then they're going to don't taunt them. Yeah. So what he's and what he's going to get into is okay, so maybe I don't make them, you know, work harder and work less for the same value. Maybe I make them work for less. You know, I pay under their labor value. That's, that's an option. I'm making a steal. That's a pocket for me. That's that's one way to do it. That's Does one it, way to do it. Now, didn't so. we talk about this in a couple chapters ago, though, that there's like a there's, a there's a bottom line that you can pay them before they just start dying? Yes, yes. And uh, we got to keep them upkept as a class. Yeah, I got to keep them alive. But capitalists are going to see something happen in their favor. And there's a big thing you'll notice that... These systems aren't in place because some genius thought it up, you know. Mm-hmm. We talked about this, like, conspiracy is this, this nasty word because it makes it <laughs> think, like, oh, if I think the government's doing bad things, like when the CIA actually sent crack cocaine into the streets, which they <laughs> on record did. Like, like, that's not undebatable. I must be a conspiracy theorist, you know. But if I think, like, Russia's going to eat the whole country because Trump actually talked to Putin, I'm just mainline MSNBC, you know. Yeah. There, it's, it's a squishy word. It's, it's, it's not so good. You know, there's, like, a thought of meaning of, of paranoid and... And off base. Well, it's just because like, Alex Jones gets to put on a lizard mask and he gets right. to embody that word, and I don't want to be in that camp. Damn it! I, that, right. So right. It's 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 a hammer word. It's the, like you, you know you just like you hear terrorists and you think oh you know guy bombing a building right, but terrorism yeah. can just be like slammed on like I don't like this protester that's wearing a mask. Yeah. You know? uh, the same thing. You know you think Alex Jones saying there's gay frogs blood sneaking around in chemtrails. Almost always. You're thinking like oh my god that's a conspiracy theorist. But you're not thinking like, oh, maybe someone realized the white helmets who are documented as, yeah. as fake propaganda bastards that are well-funded by governments might be fake propaganda bastards well-funded by government. Completely off-topic. Yeah, but, completely off-topic. But no, no, no. We're derailing for a second. Just bear with me. This is a short one. I can derail for a second. When I first started at my current job, one of my uh, coworkers the, basically did nothing all day but sit in his office, and that was fine. Yeah. But he sat in his office, and there was always two computers up. And there was the computer he was working on, and then there was this other computer that just had, like, video running in the background. And it looked sort of official. And so I was just like, oh, he's just doing sweet, sweet research and mortgage-related. And st- look at him. He's dedicated to his cause. Uh, and then I found out he was just 24-7 watching InfoWars at work. Oh, my God. At work, <laughs> on the clock. Which, I'm sorry, I would rather he be back there watching porn and just masturbating the entire time. That would have made me more comfortable with him. Because once I found that out, I literally was, oh, like, I did not talk to him again. Like, he left. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I couldn't speak to him again. And it was going to get real awkward after a while. Uh, that was the most terrible. I was like, oh, my God, you're doing it in the open. What is wrong with you? I thought you did that, like, in a shame class closet. I say that as I record this in a shame closet under my stairs, but yeah. that's not the point. Um, so yeah, that was, that that went for a full circle. What were we talking about? Conspiracies? Oh, we were talking about conspiracy. And the reason we were talking about conspiracy is you can smell the bad kind, the Alex Jones kind you think of, when they think there's some mastermind just out there pulling the gears, pulling the gears, mm. pulling the gears, you know. There was no crying of capitalism. Yeah, there 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 are some sometimes some, you know, like large plotted things, you know, like we just brought up the CIA yeah, stuff, yep, but they're problem. usually intelligence community stuff, and even them, you know, they're not going to have some, like, secret roundabout 12th dimensional chess plan. <laughs> they're going to have things a little more complex where you don't see it, but it's going to be something that they stumbled upon, yeah. and then it worked, and so they're going to try and try again. There's also a lot of other systems that are more simple, that 
you know, don't take these this lever pulling, you know, intelligence and they're going to notice, hey, this worked and they're going to try it over and over and try it over and over. You know, hey, this is good. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you saw this with the, the McCarthyism, the, the Red Scare <laughs> stuff. Right. Everyone that's bad is, is a communist. So they would say, you know, you're a communist because you're gay. Well, now you get to slam on gay people and slam on communists in one bit. So capitalists like stumbling on these two for ones, and they they cling to them. So we're gonna get we're gonna get into a little new capitalist two for one when we get here, okay? Bogo capitalism. Bogo capitalism. So first, before we get there, uh, Marx goes on that the palpable law is the importance for clearing up many phenomena rising from a tendency to be worked out later on of capital to reduce as much as possible the number of laborers employed by it or its variable constituent transformed into labor power. So employ the least people, lay some dudes off. In contradiction to its other tendency to produce the greatest possible mass surplus value, which of course you think is yeah. employing more people for more hours. Theoretically. On the other hand, if the mass labor power employed or the amount of variable capital increases, but not in proportion to the fall of the rate of surplus value, the mass of surplus value produced falls. So if you're hiring more guys, but all of a sudden your rate of exploitation is going down, you're, you're not going to really make all that much money. Welcome to Fun Analogy Corner, guys. You've played Roller Coaster Tycoon. You all have. Everyone on this call has. Everyone on this podcast has played Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's delightful. If you hire 45 of the dancing tiger guys to entertain your people... There's a certain point where there's not enough space for the dancing... Like, everyone can see a dancing tiger guy. There's no movement. You, you've got too many dancing tiger guys. Fire some and turn them into guys that s scoop up the, the puke from all the sweet roller coasters you've built. You can't... There's a limit. You can't just throw more people at it all the time. Because then there's 45 guys staring at a machine going, yep, that looks good. And yeah. you see that on the side of highways. You can't, you can't have a billion salespeople, nothing to sell. You can't have a bunch of manufacturers and no one actually putting it out to retail for anyone to buy. You know, you got to have people in the right places, and, and maybe it's even the right total people. Yes. Okay? You know, I mean, if it's a slow season, what is producing do more, you're just going to try to pay people less. But if it's a busy season, you want more people to get that more money off of. You just need to make sure that you're keeping your rate of exploitation. Uh, Marx comes creepily close almost to instructing capitalists how to be, except that he's analyzing what they're already doing. Yeah, so yeah, I'm about to say, this, does, this would be this would be <laughs> a really fun, like, mock, like, like, Machiavellian, it was supposed to be sarcasm, and all the capitalists read it, were like, oh, fuck, that's how we should do it, damn it, yes, all right. Yeah, it's like Orwell. Uh, <laughs> goddamn Orwell, goddamn it, no. Yeah. <laughs> fucking animal, fucking animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, anyway. God damn it. <laughs> so... He talks about, you know, I mean, these, these ratios, if you can get 1 to 2 in your return back, well, mm -hmm. it's better to get 1 to 10 and, and on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. But then you still want more mass if you're getting that rate of exploitation. So we talked about, you know, maybe you only pay them for 6 hours worth to make their value. Well, maybe they make their value in 6 hours worth, right? Mm -hmm. But you still employ them for 8 hours. Well, so you're squeezing a little more Look at that. Little more I, got some, I got some more now. Right. I mean, now he was talking about the working day back in his day, but now we're employed hourly. Yeah. You know, it's great to be a capitalist and pretend that humans are machines and employ them for 21 hours a day. Yeah. But it's a lot better to to employ them where you're making money off their first six hours instead of their first 10 yep. and still employ them for 21 hours a day. They're not really out there to shorten your work day. They're only laying you off when they can't squeeze more out of you and expand those hours. Which you see in the service or in the restaurant industry all the time because, yeah. dear Lord, the concept of cutting people just as soon as there is not, as soon as there is any of you st like, like looking around like for a hot second, you are cut, you are gone. 
Yeah. You are not making the money. Go if home. anyone is employed in the restaurant business, they're sitting here listening to us to talk about this book going, I could write this myself. Yes. Because they're watching people get cut. They're getting tipped, which is this horrible oh, Jim Prologue. God, how did we? Or <laughs> you try to make the consumer the capitalist. And you deal with people's shitty opinions and their dance monkey dance attitude towards you. It's so bad. And, and of course, so you're going to spite the patrons even though, you know, they're giving your money. So you understand that where you're getting your money isn't actually giving you money. They're withholding from you what you deserve. (sighs) It's, it's, It's a very, very clear way to do it is to work in the restaurant business. And be mildly conscious. Of or, that. or work, or be be an employee at Walmart, and then you figured out that Walmart figured out. Wait a minute, I don't even have to do tips. I'll have the government tip them for me by paying them, giving them food stamps, and then having the food stamps come back to me. Yeah, it's all a circle. So now Marx gets into a little bit um, about constant capital versus variable capital, and Woo! he says that these classic economists. They get confused, you know. They see, hey, and the example he used is a baker and a cotton spinner. Right? I do, I do. Can we just focus? I do love, he doesn't think they're getting confused. He thinks they're idiots. There's a oh, difference. <laughs> Don't, oh, it's so cute when he says they're they're confused. Like, no, no, no. He's just calling everyone else an asshole. Don't get it wrong. You would not want to hang out with Karl Marx. He would be an insufferable prick. But he's, he's good at this. insufferable prick. He's super good at this, though. <laughs> So, hey, now, he did have lots of kids, so maybe he was good to be around if you weren't a fucking, you know, other philo- philosopher, but yeah. Oh, but if you he didn't, if you agreed great. with him wholly, I'm sure he was a great dude. <laughs> the worst version of Mike Matheny. Oh, dear. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh, that dates this podcast a little bit, but yes. Oh, God, it's over. It's over. It's over. We're free. Uh, so anyway, he talks about the uh, classical economists being uh, quote-unquote confused because some laborers use less constant capital and more variable capital, and others use more variable capital and less constant capital, and yet they're coming out to the same congealed value. And he mentions yeah. a baker doesn't use that much constant capital, but a cotton spinner uses a friggin' lot. Yeah. Right? But again, he's already talked about your constant capital is transferring into your total value. <laughs> and you're talking about hiring people. And you're going to hire replacement person Q off the street, right? So replacement person Q is going to fit into the average congealed labor. Yep. Okay. So none of that, that's just playing around and tripping up. It's like supply and demand. Yeah. You notice this phenomenon. It actually matters for day-to-day things. Maybe if you're in management from an economic thing. But as far as theory, as far as understanding the system and our everyday reality... It's worthless. Yeah. It's 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 just how you deal with like your gas prices going up and down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are more capital intensive. I mean, there are just there there are strictly there are more, there are there are industries that are more capital intensive. Mining, so I don't know if Mark specifically goes into this, um, but but you know, mining traditionally any of those are, are heavily 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 weighted towards your the input on your constant capital is going to be so much higher than it is on your your variable capital oh, yeah. that's oil always, drilling that yeah all of that kind of stuff it's just by nature going to require it doesn't mean that you're still not going to be playing on the same equation it just changes the variables yeah it's but typical raw material extraction which seems backwards you know, it, like, it really it all variable capital it really really should but be but no it's not <laughs> no no maybe in marx's time it was maybe but but now at least no it is definitely not yeah um, so now Marx, and let's see, I might have skipped around a bit. He's saying awesome. to employ a thousand spinners, more raw ma- Oh, he's yeah. talking about the constant capital. Yeah. So the constant capital is going to vary and it's going to transfer in. So he's talking about, first off, you know, if you're if you're getting your value of six hours of labor for this guy, that was eight hours before, if he's making ten more widgets, okay, you're still going to go through the constant capital as extra ten widgets. But as long as you're making more in the variable capital, who cares that constant capital value is being transferred? <laughs> Okay, so he says to employ a thousand spinners, and he's getting back to cotton spinners. He loves those dudes. More raw material spindles, etc. 
R, of course, required the new employee 100. The value of these additional means of production, however, may rise and fall, remain unaltered, be large or small, and has no influence on the process of creation of surplus value by the labor powers that put them in motion. These things are not going to get value on their own. Okay. Have we have we gotten to the best quote of this entire thing for him so far, which is his his fun Spinoza burn yet? Did we did we Ooh. skip the Spinoza burn? We might have skipped the Spinoza. The the vulgar economist. The oh yeah yeah. yeah. This is where he's he, he's dunking on Ricardo again because it's literally like his it's his. I get the feeling like Ricardo's the only one he respects, and because of that, he wants to kick him in the face. That realistically, harder. and again, anyone <laughs> who's he says, he says Ricardo's right, and that Ricardo's a dumbass more than he even brings up other guys. Anyone, <laughs> anyone that has studied that studies economics as a, a, on its full scope, essentially your your trajectory, you have like the proto everything pre Ricardo. Then the 19th century was Ricardo on one side, Marx on other side. And then everything since then has kind of been trying to find what the resolution of those two is. So there's a reason Ricardo comes up, and it is, yeah, it is because he is the other heavyweight to Mr. Marx over here. Um, Thank you for being the philosophy heavyweight. uh, Yeah, (laughs) this is a lot, this is, yeah, but... Uh, we shall see later how the school of Ricardo came to grief on this stumbling block. Vulgar economics. I just love vulgar economics. That's a, for whatever, it just sounds so. Which, like the Bourbons, has really learned nothing, relies here as elsewhere on the mere semblance as opposed to the law which regulates and determines the phenomenon. In antithesis to Spinoza, it believes that ignorance is enough is a sufficient reason. <laughs> D- just basically saying, oh, we can't figure it out, and that's enough, for, we know, and it works, and that's why. It's, it's just, it's so... I it love is that. I, a suburban champ. I, it's so. It's just so. Like I get. Like I, I do love that Marx is just basically going like nobody else has ever looked at this. Only me. I smart. <laughs> Sorry. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know the House of Bourbon, there were two divided houses in France. Yeah. For like a hundred years because Hold of the up. French Revolution. A little minor thing called the French Revolution. Yeah, a little tiny thing called the French Revolution. Whoops. No, minor, minor detail. Uh, and there was the House of Orleans, which were the liberals, the uh, Bonapartes, the the you know Bonapartes. The, the yeah, when Napoleon Bonaparte is your liberal, that's a that's a fun fun group. You know, people people need to realize that that's the, the liberal. The Overton window has shifted slightly, folks. You know, people get their heads around the fact that Napoleon is the ultimate liberal. They're they're gonna understand things. Better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you had the House of Bourbon, which were the reactionaries. So, you know, these were bourgeoisie people slap fighting it out, trying to get the poor in the middle. This was the Republicans, the Democrats. Yep. You know, none of that battle between them mattered, but it manifested in material consequences for the entire country. And all they needed to do was be upheaved, basically. Um, which didn't, unfortunately, quite happen. But, you know, I mean, life is like. And for the Napoleon being a liberal thing, again, this is... But these chapters are fairly short, guys, so if we interject more than usual here, it's just because we have time. <laughs> we have the free time. <laughs> hey, we have, we have, we have space. Uh, <laughs> it was funny. I think it was, oh, what's his fuck? What, that justice that just retired and dicked us all. Kennedy! Kennedy was, uh, was talking about... I can't remember when he was interviewed. It was around... Ah, I, I can cite it if I need to later. Uh, but he was talking about when he was at, at Harvard, and he, you know, when they would debate, you know, politics and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. when, when Kennedy would call himself a, a moderate or he'd call himself a liberal, but most people would think, you know, he'd be, oh, he's way over here, conservative, he's way liberal. He's like, when we would have debates in Harvard, you, you aligned very similar to how uh, French Parliament would, in that, you, you know, you would align to the left or the right based on your political ideology. 
at the time when he was going to school, I think it was in the late, uh, the, the early to late 60s, he said the communists were in the middle. <laughs> if you yes, Kennedy said. So if you want an idea of the kind of background that you would come that you would come from if you if you went through the schools at that time, the communists were your center, and everything went left or right from there. So try imagining that kind of uh, that kind of openness, and then figure out where we're at right now. Where again, Hillary Clinton is our leftist progressive champion that's going to get us there. Like we've got some room to shift, people. Ugh, that that see to me that's damning on the left right paradigm and kind of yup. damning on uh, a lot of. Uh, Scholarly communism, yep. you know, Noam yep. Chomsky, but <laughs> good old Noam. Good old Noam. Yeah, don't ever listen to him. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> don't get on, don't get on everybody. Fuck okay. you, Ricardo. Fuck, Fuck you, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> Damn it, just do get, it. Line him up. <laughs> uh, so now Marx, Marx gets in his his huzzah line, and this is where yes. I really love Chapter Eleven. This is one that I, I mean, again, going back to the academics, from what I understand, Chapter Eleven is is usually like. And it is a ramp up to 12. Yeah. But it's treated like a ramp up to 12. Like, here's this, 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 dump the ramp and fly up. <laughs> Everyday people that read Capital care a lot about Chapter 11, and academics yeah. just go, yeah. And this is the line where, where that difference is made. He says, if this laborer were in possession of his own means of production and were satisfied to live as a laborer, he need not work beyond the time necessary for the reproduction of his subsistence, say, eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. He would, besides, only require the means of uh, production sufficient for working hours. The capitals, on the other hand, who makes them do besides these eight hours, say four hours surplus labor, requires an additional sum of money for finishing the additional means of production. So, you know, this is a difference between, like, uh, what the, the vulgar economist <laughs> likes to say, claims happens, these self-made men, yep. and the capitalist, right? Uh-huh. Capital is not self-made. You're you're holding on to subsistence. You have these means of production. This is what divides us. I have this factory. I have this retail store. I have this copyright. Yep. Which oh, don't even get me into. <laughs> no. Yep. 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 You know, I, I have this contract. I have these means of production that you need to do your stuff, or that legally say I get to hold everything that you need to do your stuff. Yep. Okay. You want access to them? Well, huh, you got to come through me. You got to pay me. But I'm going to play it off like I'm paying you. I'm offering you this job. I'm offering you this opportunity as a means of production. I'm going to pay you this labor, right? But it's, it's a backwards way of thinking. You have to pay them to, to use their stuff. You're essentially paying a rent to use their stuff, Yep. right? That's everything that's not your subsistence, and they're carrying off like rent. Every capitalist is a landlord, okay? And, and he, he lays that out really, really well there. I love, oh, yeah. love that line. Uh, and then he talks a little bit, and, and this is a big part Marx doesn't get quite into some of this stuff here um, like he does in other places or some other Marxists get into it. But there's an idea, and it's it's a big one that, that especially like Marxist-Leninist, Marxist-Leninist Maoist will tell you is reform can't change things because as soon as you roll things back, they're going to roll them back forward the way they were. Okay, You see that in neoliberalism, right? Yo. You come out with the New Deal stuff. You have all these social programs. And what do they do? They they make these these racist tropes about you know the the Cadillac driving welfare queens and then they start you know hatching away at it. Yep. Okay. Reforms are never going to last. Reforms are never going to last because this popped up in the first place. You know, capitalism wasn't just like someone sat down and it came in their brain and they invented it and they wrote it up and it just dawned upon the world. Adam it, Smith did not like write Wealth of Nations and then people are like, we should try this crazy thing. Yeah, I mean, he was, was not a phenomenon was happening. 
So he talks about, he says, of course, a man, and this is a man with his own means of production working, says, of course, like his laborer, take to work himself, participate directly in the process of production. But he is then only a hybrid between a mm-hmm. capitalist and a laborer. We call those petty bourgeois. Now, now we're getting into some of the, the weird hybridization yeah. nonsense. And I will, I mean, I've mentioned hybrids you yeah. know, time time or two, because you can be a hybrid between a bourgeoisie and a proletariat, but of course your class interests are going to then, they're going to be more conscious, you're going to make a choice, but yeah. typically, unfortunately, you'll follow the bourgeoisie in that case. Thankfully, the proletariat is still the overwhelming majority, and if you're a hybrid, you can realize your own interest is still to fall into that overwhelming yeah, majority. Exactly. But he's, of course he can, like his labor, the work, uh, he can take to the work himself, participate directly in the process of production, but he's then only a hybrid between a capitalist and labor, a small master. A certain stage of capitalist production necessitates the capitalist to be able to devote the whole of his time during which he functions as a capitalist, as personified capital, to the appropriation and therefore control of the labor of others and to the selling of the products of his labor. The guilds of the Middle Ages therefore tried mm-hmm. to prevent by force, remember, you know, perfect yep. rights, this force that does this, the transformation of the master of a trade into a capitalist by limiting the number of laborers that could be employed by one master within a very small maximum. The possessor of money or commodities actually turns into capitalists in such cases only where the minimum sum advanced for the production greatly exceeds the maximum of the Middle Ages. Here is a natural science is shown the correctness of the law discovered by Hegel in his logic, he puts in quotes. And Marx doesn't think super highly of Hegel, but he loves his dialectics yeah, and he cites some things he got right. Steals the steer. That merely quantitative differences beyond a certain point pass into qualitative you know, changes. Yes. If you if you have a small amount of something, it doesn't change its nature just because you have more. But you do reach a point where there's a t- there's a tipping point. There's one tipping you have point. you have one dollar, you double that, you have two dollars. Does that change anything? No. You double that, you have four dollars. That no. So where, there is a point. Right, that, but and, you have sixty grand, and you double that. Right. That's going to be a big difference in your. And life. this is one of those specific examples where obviously this can't be the way we still think about it because Marx, at the time Marx is writing this, you know, when you when you say, well, once you pass this medieval maximum of of guild laborers, then you're considered a capital. That system obviously would not work today. Yeah. So don't get hung too hard on that, uh, and definitely don't get hung too hard on Hegel because it. It will drive your brain to nothingness. It's a fucking waste of time. But that's not the point. Or you'll turn into Marx. Yeah, well, no. Marx already did it for you. Just skip the Hegel. Assume it's correct for what we need to do and skip Hegel. Um, yeah. But that's 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 kind of the point. And this is the interesting part. That's kind of jumps to the next part that I really... So it is the minimum sum of value the individual possessor of money or commodities must command in order to metamorphose himself into a capitalist changes with the different stages of development of capitalist production and is at given stages different in different spheres of production according to their special technical conditions. So this is kind of the exactly the caveat that I just gave that, look, the amount of money you need to be considered, the amount of capital that you need to be considered a capitalist is going to be completely different at different points in history. And depending on, again, we go back to these industries. If I have an X amount of capital, I could be a capitalist in a, in, in you know, the restaurant, I could open a restaurant or a franchise or something to that effect, but that would not be nearly enough capital to be a capitalist in the mining industry or the oil drilling industry. It is it, it vastly, it, there's not like a, you have $200,000. Congratulations. The balloons drop. You're a capitalist. Here's your monocle. Enjoy. Like it doesn't work that way. There, there's gives and takes here. Yeah. And again, you know, a lot of that does have to do with laws and the government that's out there too. I mean, we just talked about copyrights. You know, we just talked about contracts. Uh, You also have to think about the amount of power to enforce those contracts 
uh, the lawyers, things like that. I mean, that, that stuff's going to change constantly. Constantly. And you see that now. You know, I mean, everybody has this rumor of the self-made man. And we just talked about the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos, these self-made men. They were born on third base. Yeah. Yeah. You're only getting there now if you're born on third base. doesn't make it better if you were a self-made man in 1920. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're still the capitalist. You're still exploiting people. Yeah. But you can't do that now. Yeah, it's getting, it is getting, progr- the concept of it being doable is getting, and again, there are, you can pull, for example, the, the I want to say the, the founder of Domino's, before he became a complete psychopath, um, <laughs> and if you do not know the history of the owner of Domino's, please God, go listen to the episode of The Dollop about it, because holy shit, he started an entire Catholic town in Florida, and it, it's the most insane thing I've ever heard of in my entire goddamn life. Oh, you must. Oh, you must if you didn't already know it. Uh, but again, that's a guy that by all measures of, of our system would be a self-made man. He started. He literally was orphaned, grew up in a, in a uh, 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 what, orphanage with the, the sisters and, and then came to, to love the church and then literally was working 19 hours a day at a shitty-ass pizza shop to try and, like, survive and then did that long enough until he had capital and then became a billionaire. Literally, it's probably the model. But that just doesn't... It, the, the problem is, is that people will still keep pointing to these examples. And the problem is they're getting harder and harder to point to. And, and if you don't acknowledge that, that's, that's kind of the problem. Because again, a lot of people will dismiss Marx out of hand using examples that came around 30 years later, 40 years later, 100 years later. And, and you have to look at the current claim. If you want to know why this book in particular is picking up steam and why this movement is is really starting to become appealing again, because shit's diff- shit's fundamentally different now than it was in the 70s and the 80s. And it's because of choices we made that got us here. We actively pursued this path through everything, every policy decision we've made since the late 80s or early 80s has been moving us towards this point. And so we, there, there's going to be a reset one way or another. Yeah. And, and and if you cannot reconcile that, we you have a fundamental, you, you need to start paying more attention. But just saying that, oh, well, no, people people can be self-made. This is this is completely possible. I see it here. No, does not, that, your one example does not change what's going on here. And it also doesn't change the fact that you still can't get to this level without exploiting people at a certain level. It doesn't yeah, happen. Self-made is kind of a false word anyway because your workers are still making Exactly. And if, you, when you work, if you, you want to... if he worked at the bottom, but your workers If are he still continually worked 19 hours a day by himself all the time until he got there, that's fine. But that's not what happened at a certain point. At a certain point, he stopped, took it off, and then set it on coast. And then you're off. Yeah. I mean, even if he's working alongside people, like he talked about these mixed... You know, capitalist, yeah. right? The the hardworking boss that's in there doing twenty hours a day, just like you. Yep. And oh, by the way, he's making three hundred grand and retiring at yeah. age forty. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I mean, so just because your boss isn't an asshole doesn't mean you're not getting exploited. Yeah. <laughs> but don't don't write off completely. I mean, some of these changes and, and Mark's opening up is because I mean that's becoming more true. People are becoming conscious of that. Yes. But also some of that is, is some of the Cold War stuff wearing off because of the collapse of the, the Soviet Union. Yes. You know, and that's what ne- let neoliberalism happen. You know, Reagan took a risk, and it was yeah. as grotesque as it was. It was a smart risk. Oh, yeah. Uh, him and Thatcher said, hey, Soviet Union's going to fall if we go in and we put someone in power who's going to go bomb their Congress, which 
They eventually did a little bit after his, the end of his presidency, and they were working on They had Gorbachev actually, like, doing... You can see the Gorbachev Pizza Hut commercials, everything. It's horrible. It's so, uh, it's so dirty. You feel so dirty. Yeah, if we can just push in the CIA and say, hey, we can go in, we can turn this place capitalist, and then we don't have to do these social programs. And you see, all of a sudden, like, when the Soviet Union gets weaker and then falls, austerity comes in, and you realize mm. all these social programs... We're just capitalists trying to turn you away from communism, and with no pressure there from another communist superpower, they go away. Yeah. So, you know, I, we're going to lean a lot on China here now. We'll see what happens. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> not. No, we, that can't be the solution. That cannot be the solution. We, no, our, our own. we should make our own solution. I was about to say, that's, because, that is not the answer. <laughs> because we don't just want compromises. No. Nope. Especially since they didn't solve all the problems. No, they did not. But... I mean, you do have to see, even at that time, you know, the Domino guy was the exception. That's why you knew the story. Exactly. Right? And, of course, he exploited people along the way. It was still wrong. You also hit out in the back of exceptions much. You also hit out in the back of delivery drivers' cars with a meat tenderizer and would beat the ever-loving life out of anyone that would try and steal pizzas from his people. He was kind of a psychopath. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Seriously. Listen to that dollop episode. <laughs> really I, good. Really I good. I will. Okay. Okay. Also, um, he bought the Tigers. Like that's just weird. Like he just I bought. Thought, I thought that was the Little Caesars guy. No, he Little Caesars guy bought it from the Domino's guy. The Tigers are just owned by pizza people. Jesus Christ. I know. All right, so Papa Murphy's is going to be the next owner of the Tigers. Uh, apparently. <laughs> well, the, 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 the Little Caesars guy's dead, so he doesn't own it anymore. Yeah, there you go. Papa Murphy's going to go in. You know. Damn make, it. Make your own baseball team. I just close so. the Little Caesars in Union. It makes me sad. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is going to be off the rails. I apologize, yeah. people. Just, just deal with it. Uh, but I did want to go into that. You know, that's an example that, I mean, you say, hey, we can stop this if we roll it back. Yeah. They had limits. They had force on yep. you could only employ a few people. And the capitalists, they gathered up the working class. They said, look at these feudal overlords oppressing you. Yep. You want your freedom. Let's go get your freedom. They started doing their liberal revolutions with each other. And the freedom they gained, you can employ as many people as you want and exploit the shit out of people. That was the freedom that was won in these great revolutions. You know, so it, it could happen again. I mean, you you have to be aware that as soon as you let that that fuse light, if it's a fuse to dynamite, it's gonna blow. Yeah, you know, it's going to go very very poorly. Yeah. Uh, pause for station identification. Ah!